0: Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Gianna Cappadona and on this episode we have a session from the Digiday Publishing Summit Europe held in Milan in March this year. Younger generations are notoriously hard to reach and connect with for traditional media houses. This case study illustrates the process of how Shipstead identified and shaped a new digital news product for exactly this audience. Their user researcher, Ann Sharma, will discuss how they identified the specific needs of this target group through iterative research and insights gathering, including how iteratively testing was done on the content, which was a crucial step to ensure that the presentation of the news is engaging to the correct extent. This led to the design and creation of the new app, Pile, a news destination for younger Norwegians.
1: So Shipset owns the biggest newspaper in Norway, but what I'm here to talk to you about today is an app that we made targeting younger audiences. Um, Some key success factors for this app has been having a really um, cross-functional team where product and tech and editorial work together as one unit. Now, before I lose you, because none of you ha- can afford three full-time researchers on one project, uh, Pile doesn't have that. Uh, the three of us have been involved with this project or product at different times, but I won't, they've only ever had like, one full-time researcher for about, I don't know, half a year or something. Other than that, we give them support. So what is Pile? Uh, the word means setting a course. Uh, but it's also more commonly used as a slang term for knowledge, being in the know. And I'll show you just quickly what the app looks like. So basically, it's a tight selection of news, uh, giving you an overview uh, with a com- it's short enough to get get you a sense of completion. It's visual and focused, to the point, trying to give you a peaceful reading experience. It's informal. Cut straight to the point of the, what the story is, and it's written in an informal way, like a friend might have written it to you. Uh, right now, the app has these four elements. So you have the um, uh, news brief, which gives you an overview of the news right now in about 30 seconds. Uh, it has 10 top stories where you can get a little bit more information of each of the stories. It gives you an overview of the biggest stories from the last week. And we, of course, have push notifications, again, intended to give you a very quick overview. And so far, the feedback on this has been fantastic. So these are just some snippets. Like, I've been waiting for this app, hooray. Like, top-notch app with six stars, and genius with four thumbs up. And that's all great. But it didn't quite start out like that. And that's what I want to share with you today. Because we definitely started off wrong. Didn't really know how to build this new product. Well, I should say they, because I didn't even join the team till like, um, yeah, after they've spent half a year building an app. So they had some internal needs from VG. You know, they were going to build the VG of tomorrow with cutting-edge technology and all of these buzzwords. So that's what they tried to do. And here's what that looked like at the point where I joined the team as the first researcher. So first thing we did when I started was to do a user test, invite people to try out the product. And it was obvious that we had quite a lot of problems here. First of all, you know, it's a it was a chat bot. That was the thing that was you know, cool in 2016, and we tried to do that. And the feedback from the user was very sort of all over the place. Uh, some people love the interaction of it, some people can click the red cross uh, fast enough to get it away. So this app was built purely on the internal needs and not based on any user needs at all. So with this very mixed type of feedback, I convinced the team that we should talk to users before building the product, try to figure out what problems we're actually trying to solve for them. Uh, But who should we really talk to? So at the same time, this chart showed up in a Slack channel, and it shows a decline in readers. Uh, aged 18 to 25, and VG is the red line here. So it's not just for us, it was for lots of other publishers as well. So this was good news for us, or well, no one likes to chart that's going downwards that way, but it was at least good timing, because that gave us some way to narrow down who we are talking to. So 18 to 25-year-olds that we can work with. So who are they? Uh, Why don't they read read VG? What other news sources are they reading? What problems do they have? Is that something we can fix? So we started out with a very simple research process, and this is overall the kind of process that we have today. Uh, We formulate questions. We got the whole team involved in uh, telling us, you know, what are the things that we want to learn about this age group 18 to 25? Uh, So formulating questions is figuring out what you want to learn, not what you're going to ask people. There's a difference there. All right, we went out and talked to 16 people in this age group, uh, analyzed the findings from this, and the result of that was three personas. I'm just going to give you very short what they're all about. So we have Morten, who's a reader, very up-to-date, reads in-depth stories. We have Johan, who's a skimmer, uh, you know, front-page scanner type, so stays up-to-date but doesn't really go in-depth. And then we have Ida, who doesn't really have any news-reading habits. And all of these have their own specific problems and needs, but it was very clear to us that the needs of Morten and Johan were to a larger extent already covered in the existing medias out there. So we chose to focus on Ida because we thought that since she doesn't really have news habits, she doesn't really know how to stay up to date, that's something that we can try to solve for her. So let's take a closer look at Ida. She wants to engage. She doesn't want to be ignorant. She doesn't want to feel left out of the conversations happening around the lunch table. But it's hard for her to stay up to date, partly because of the way uh, new stories are presented. Um, she doesn't have the context necessary to understand. Um, it may be because she doesn't know the background for a certain conflict that's being written about, or she doesn't really understand why she th- should care about the French presidential election. But it's not to say that she's stupid, definitely not and she wants to understand. It's just not made in a way that's easy for her to do that. And since we found Ida, uh, we've learned so much. We have um, learned new things, more things, but also confirmed a a lot of the initial findings that we had when we did these first 16 interviews and found this persona. So I'm going to go through some of the examples of some of the research methods uh, that we've used uh, in order to develop this product, because after all, I am a researcher. (laughs) All right. Uh, First things first, we started with content testing. I don't know how many of you guys do that, testing your editorial content. So we had our journalists print out some articles, some that they thought our persona would love, uh, some that they thought were important, but that she wouldn't find interesting. So they went out, asked, you know, what's um, interesting here? What's, what's just too much information? What, what can we cut? Uh, what do you think of the presentation of it? Are there any difficult words? And having the journalists do this themselves meant that the ones who were working on producing content every day are the ones who have this knowledge. So that's a key point. Um, the first round of content tests um, resulted in editorial guidelines. Um, so we do have in our app um, these very focused stories, a visual presentation, only as much text as po- uh, as necessary, and you only uh, they try to explain the context of it, why it's important and why you should care about it. And also, if there's any difficult words to explain those as well. So obviously, this evolves over time. And we do lots of content testing still. Every time we test a product, content is always commented on. So I suppose we get new feedback on this um, about once a month. Um, We wanted to have notifications in our app. Um, That's purely from a product standpoint, because notifications are great for Uh, bringing people back into the product. So it wasn't a user need. So we decided to do a diary study to better understand how notifications are used by this target group. Uh, So we did a round of interviews to sort of see the lay of the land. Uh, And then we had um, some chosen participants who got a notification every day for three weeks. And after they got the notification, they also got a quick survey. So we got the in-context feedback, how was the content today, what did you do about the notification, etc., which gave us some interesting information related to the content, the timing, the presentation. Then we also did interviews after the test period to get the overall impressions. And the results were great. These people who never liked notifications now wanted them. Yay! Um, and we learned things about how they should be presented. We learned that uh, a summary of the news works better than just one story, unless it's a really huge, breaking story. Uh, we learned things about um, how to phrase things, the use of emojis, etc. And we found a split um, in the participants in this study as to when they wanted the notifications. So from the panel inside the app here, you can choose if you want the morning notification, the evening notification, or the biggest stories of this week that we send out only on Sundays. Um, It was quite interesting, because we found that a lot of people really just wanted a reminder to read the news and didn't necessarily care about the content of the notification. We do some in-app testing. At any point, you can shake the phone to send us feedback. And we use this actively when we have something new that we want to test. So here we have an example of editorial trying out a new concept, uh, five things to uh, pay attention to in the coming week. And then on the last card of that story, uh, they ask for feedback. Now we get instant feedback on this, which is awesome. And we've also done the same for native ads to get feedback on those, which is also really interesting both for the advertisers and for us. Uh, Usability testing, I thought I should mention that, it's probably the kind of testing that most people have heard about in in tech that you normally do. Uh, We don't have a usability lab, Uh, so this is our workaround. Technique called hugging, where you sort of sit and hug around a Mac so that the camera films on the phone and does a video transmission to an observation room. So that saves us uh, that cost of building a usability uh, lab. And it's great to just let people use the product freely, see how they browse around, find if there's anything difficult to use about the product. And obviously, there's lots of comments about the content here as well. Um, But how do we scale this? How do we make this part of the team's everyday operations and the team's operations without having a researcher in place? It really comes down to the team owning the user experience. Because my job is not to learn about users. It's to help the team learn about users. And really, you want the knowledge to be with the people who's going to use it every day. Uh, So what we've done as researchers, we've done lots of training and mentoring, starting with the Pile team. Uh, And I, actually this has been my main focus for the past quarter, uh, training people in Shipstead, different teams coming up to me saying, can you train us to do stuff? Can you mentor us when we do this research project? And I've also had some open courses just for anyone to sign up to if they want to learn more about research. Um, And we focus a lot on lowering the barrier for testing. As I mentioned, just using normal meeting rooms and using the hugging technique. Here you see what it looks like from the observation room. Um, So you can have as many people as you like in there, Uh, anyone from the team. And if it's hard for people to prioritize like a full day of testing, then make a schedule. Have someone from editorial and someone from tech there in every uh, user test session, just so you know that you have um, all disciplines covered, because we do look for slightly different things, even though we have common goals for what we want to achieve from this study. We've also made uh, templates and checklists and example manuscripts, things that all make it easier for new, for new teams to try and do some testing on their own. Uh, in the back there, you can see It's just the blue with Chipston Media on top. And that's a remote testing tool called TestOn, where we publish some testing tasks, and people send us video clips of them using the app and commenting on it. So that's a really fast way of getting feedback. It takes about a day uh, to get five or six videos. Uh, And it lets us reach people who don't live in Oslo or that area who cannot come to our office for actual testing with us. Um, And you also get the added benefit of people testing on their own time uh, and in their own homes. And um, anyone can do interviews. Uh, This is one of our users, one of our early EDAs that we found, um, interviewing her in a cafe, and she's showing us something on her phone. Anyone can do that. It's just talking. Like Obviously, there are some best practices surrounding how you should do interviews and not introduce bias, etc. But really, it's not that hard. You should just go for it. Have an open mind and see what you can learn. Uh, We also want to include the entire team in analyzing the materials that we get. Uh, Having it as a workshop activity rather than one central person doing it and then presenting it to the others. Because obviously... The analysis is where you get the overall picture, and we want that knowledge to rest in the people who will work with it. So what we typically do is we make uh, a Google form um, with just some questions, somewhere between our research questions and the questions that were asked at the interview. So everyone puts their notes in there, structures it, and then we print it out on the wall, and. Have a team workshop to analyze, see what we can find. Um, you see one guy here writing bullet points <clears throat> um, on the board, just things that we need to fix. We put that directly into Trello or GitHub afterwards super fast. And be creative about it. You definitely don't need a finished app to test something. In fact, I'd encourage you to test a lot earlier than that. Uh, like. Print out something and test that. You don't need to be fancy and laminate your cards like we've done here, but you can. Um, you can also be creative about when you test. What's a testing opportunity for you? One of our developers was representing us at uh, this uh, job fair at a university where he was showing the app. And instead of like, telling people what to do and how to click around to navigate, he was asking people, How would you do this? And that actually, just from that one day, that one guy doing spontaneous testing, gave us lots of feedback on our new onboarding. And finally, try and make a plan. Um, Make sure that uh, user research, user insights, are part of your OKRs or KPIs to make sure that learning is something that you're striving for in your team. And planning ahead. Um makes it easier to do research in a timely fashion, try to figure out what do you need to know at what time in order to make good product decisions. So, just as a summary, things I want you to do when you get out of here, talk to your users and know who you're talking to. Don't necessarily just focus on the age range, like 18 to 25, but also filter by their behavior and their attitudes to make sure that you're listening to the right people. And scaling can mean involving everyone. Don't just rely on a researcher if you have one, uh, but try and get the whole team involved. Thank you.
0: Great. Anna, thank you very much. Great. Uh, So how long has the app been in the wild for? Oh, um,
1: we've done a sort of very soft launch about a year, year and a half ago.
0: What does soft launch mean?
1: Uh, we put it out there in the app store, didn't really tell anyone. So no marketing? <laughs> no marketing. Okay. We'll, we've done some slight things, like VG has a big following on Snapchat Discover, mm-hmm. so they have put some of our content there, and that's driven a lot of traffic, <laughs> uh, and we've spent what? 500 euros on Mm -hmm. some marketing from like Instagram and Snapchat.
0: And what are the usage figures like?
1: Oh, tiny. Uh, We haven't focused on scaling yet. So we're about, I don't know, 6,000 weekly active users. Um, So it's all about uh, making sure that we learn and do the right things rather than looking at getting this to a mass market yet.
0: Okay. What's the opportunity for that then? When you do go mass market, I mean, y- y- what are you expecting? How big is that captive market? Ooh, um, not
1: quite sure. Um, I'd say in Norway, um, two, three hundred thousand in the right age group. Okay. Um, depending on where we, how we go. Hmm. Right. Okay.
0: We're well, good. Right. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Digiday Live. Thank you for listening and a special thanks to our producer, Aditi Sangal. If you like this show, please make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again next week with another episode.